You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, my name is Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo. My name is Claire Perini. And welcome back, or welcome for the first time, to the Regent College Podcast. Friends, today we had a conversation about the common good. good. So this is a something that's been an idea that's been part of the church for a long time. Uh, we had a conversation with Andy Crouch and Amy Sherman yeah. around this idea. So if you don't know uh, Amy Sherman and Andy Crouch, let me tell you a little bit about them. So Amy Sherman uh, directs the Sagamore Institute's Centre on Faith in Communities. Christianity Today named her one of the 50 most influential evangelical women in America. She served uh, for several years as a director of urban ministries uh, at a church in Charlottesville. Uh, she talks a lot about vocation mm-hmm. and the common good and how we might see those two things together. Andy Crouch is the partner for theology and culture at an organization called Praxis. He's written, recently written a book called The Tech Wise Family. He's written a book on culture making and uh, he was the executive editor of Christianity Today and his work has been pretty well published around in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Time. So uh, we had a great conversation with these yeah. two and we hope you enjoy it. Amy and Andy, welcome to the Regent Podcast. So happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Good to have you. Um, We're talking about the common good. So tell us, how would you define the common good? (laughs) Amy's looking at me. (laughs) The eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, this is a, I mean, I think it's actually a wonderful phrase in a couple ways. Um, One is it has a really deep, long history. Uh, It goes back in one stream to Aristotle. And it goes back in another way to the Apostle Paul, who actually, mm. I think, uses this almost this very phrase, gifts mm. are given. He gave many gifts to his church uh, to serve the, the common good. Mm. Now, I think Paul is m- not meaning it in the same technical way that the Aristotle and his successors did, but it's interesting that it both has this kind of biblical resonance about the way when we come together, we are all here for something bigger than ourselves mm-hmm. as part mm-hmm. of a, a Christian community. Um, but actually, what I love is the way that the Catholic Church in particular picked up on Aristotle's idea and made it really the center of how the Catholic Church teaches about social ethics. And mm-hmm. and there's when you actually ask, if you ask, now Amy and I, neither of us are, are Catholic, um, uh, and that might be just as well, because when you ask a serious Catholic uh, who is mm-hmm. an expert in these things to define the common good, that would be a very long podcast. Because right. this is a, <laughs> just the definition. Uh, yeah, this is a profound, yeah. well-elaborated, uh, really since mm-hmm. uh, maybe Rerum Novarum, the encyclical of, uh, of the 19th century, um, there's been this very careful Catholic effort to think about these things. Mm-hmm. I spent a while studying it and uh, being a Protestant and wanting things simple and being a journalist and really wanting things simple. <laughs> the definition I came up with that, that I has been most helpful to me is that ultimately what the common good is about is those conditions that promote the flourishing of the vulnerable in community. Mm-hmm. That, that the common good is about flourishing, about what it is to be fully human. Mm-hmm. It's about especially the flourishing of the vulnerable, those at most risk of missing out on what was meant for human beings. And then the only way that actually happens, uh, that is in, is in a kind of, the kind of, a certain kind of community. Mm-hmm. So the common good invites us to consider all these topics, flourishing, mm-hmm. vulnerability, and community, mm-hmm. and to think about how we are building or not building those mm-hmm. at all levels of mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. Flourishing is one of those words that get that does get used a lot in this conversation. Can we try and define that a little bit as well? Or what do we mean by 
flourishing. Oh, good. Since I got uh, common good, Amy now has to take flourishing. <laughs> flourishing. Amy can totally take flourishing, <laughs> I'm sure. I played my cards well. Yeah, but, but that is if Amy agrees with his definition. <laughs> like, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Have something to add, I agree something. with everything Andy says. <laughs> <laughs> I think flourishing um, from a Christian and biblical perspective is really tied to the Hebrew idea of shalom, uh, right? Uh. Which, unfortunately, our English word peace doesn't capture very well because it's really about this deep, holistic flourishing. It's very relational in nature. So peace with God, peace with self, peace with others, peace with the created order, this sort of fourfold mm. peace. And there is much that you know, a non-biblical idea of flourishing would find, I think, in common with a Christian view of flourishing. Mm. So they're not completely distinct, mm. you know, sets. There's, there's, an, there's overlap, but there's also distinctiveness, right? Mm. So, and that's because a, a, a biblical view of flourishing is going to have such an emphasis on the relational mm. Um, and it's going to have a obvious connection to, you know, uh, a connection to God, mm. the ultimate good, the ultimate beauty, the ultimate truth, um, that, that a, a secular view is, is not going to have mm. that. Yeah. I think also that um, there's something about the Christian view of flourishing that is inherently other-centered. In other words, that that yes, we have this wonderful flourishing ourselves mm. in which we want to be physically thriving, relationally thriving, emotionally thriving, spiritually thriving, um, mm. but with an understanding that neighbor love is actually irreducible, an irreducible part of that. Mm. Like I, I can't mm-hmm. actually be fully whole mm. apart from seeking your good mm. as well as my own good. In fact, I find at some deep level my own good as I enable mm. you mm. to pursue your good. Mm-hmm. So it's it's both an individual and an other-centered thing, whereas in a secular view, it might be limited more to this notion of self-actualization right. yeah, that normally, is, yeah. does not necessarily have something to do with me serving you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which ties into the whole idea that actually then it can't happen unless we're in community. Yes, exactly. Essentially. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I, um, I, I read this little book called Strong and Weak that, where I tried to work on this word a little bit. And I start early on by talking about my niece, uh, the third child of my sister, uh, whose name was Angela, who was born with trisomy 13, which is a very, um, v- a very difficult uh, genetic uh, abnormality. I think you'd say it's three copies of the 13th chromosome in every cell, in her case. Sometimes it's not in every cell, but for her it was. Mm. And uh, we were more familiar with trisomy 21, which is called Down syndrome. Uh, but trisomy 13 is far more debilitating in every way. So Angela didn't have hearing. She didn't have sight. Uh, well, she had a little bit of hearing and a tiny bit of sight, I guess. Mm. Uh, n- never acquired language. Um, uh, and and uh, half of children born with this die in the first week of life if they are born alive. 
Um, Angela lived for 12 years and she actually died just as I was finishing the book. Um, and, and the beginning of the book, I sort of lay out this, uh, you know, this word flourishing sounds really promising. It sounds like something we all want. Mm, it's mm. like, yeah, yeah, bring it on, mm. you know? And and I, I actually like it because I think it, you know, I, as you said, Amy, like while we Christians might have a take on it, our neighbors, I think, want this too, whatever their faith is. So it's this great common ground. But then you look at, at someone like Angela, um, so limited in every way for her whole life. Um, and And you really have to ask, can this person ever flourish? Mm. Like what would flourishing be for mm. her? Like it's not going to Harvard. It's not mm. uh, acing a test. It's not even being able to communicate in any evident way with people. Mm. I mean, Angela was able to, mm, we knew what was going on with her. Um, but the bottom line is there was a, there was no way Angela was going to flourish by herself. Like an individualistic right. idea of, mm. Oh, Angela, just be all you can be mm. like that is a dead end for a person with trisomy 13 in a sense. Mm. Um, but in community, mm. in the right kind of relationships, not just her family, but, uh, the, the town she lived in, the, uh, professionals, uh, medical, nutritional, mm. psychological, all the different people who were able mm. to come around this family, it was actually possible to create a community where even though Angela couldn't talk, she could be understood. Right. And even though Angela mm -hmm. couldn't see, she was seen. And even though she, I don't know how you would say she even recognized her parents, she was recognized by her parents. And the question really becomes not so much, is Angela flourishing at a given moment, like isolated, but are we the kind of community where, uh, where Angela can be a part. And mm. if we are, and if she can be known and loved and, and indeed have everything that is possible for her life come mm. to be, then maybe we're on the right track. Mm -hmm. But that's a really different picture of flourishing from, yeah. you know, winning the track meet and mm. getting into Harvard. Mm. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, are there aspects of the common good that we sometimes neglect then? Like, that are, or that we... Yeah, is our is our understanding um, either privileged or limited? Like, sort yeah, of given the example that you give, are there is our definition too small? Does right. it? Yeah, we've you've painted a bigger yeah. a bigger vision, but are there things that we right. neglect? Yeah, and the thing when I normally hear about uh, like talking about the common good is normally material things like Ooh. like like mm. employment. Interesting. And, and yes. it's, it's, it's normally material, but it's, it's not always like you're, like you're talking com uh, like relational right. and psychological, or it's always like. Like you, you need to have your 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 basic needs met and et cetera, et cetera, but it's never more than that, or not wow. not never, but normally not more than that. Mm -hmm. So, yes. what, like, what are we neglecting? Wow. From that? wow, wow, wow. Well, I think that's totally right. I mean, the common good comes into um, the Catholic tradition, or kind of get reemerges at a time when Europe is trying to sort out uh, the post-industrial uh, its post-industrial future, basically, and and there is a lot of attention to just material conditions. Mm. Like some people are becoming incredibly wealthy while other people are not. Mm. Labor doesn't seem to be being compensated appropriately. The communist movement or an incipient kind of communist movement is arising, a at least an incipient labor movement. And, and one of the corrections was to say, no, no, as, as important as material goods are in a certain way, and certainly they should be fairly mm. shared, what really matters is persons. And mm. what matters for persons is relationship much mm. more than things. So that's one thing that does get neglected. And the other thing I think that's mm. really interesting um, is there's a kind of a um, 
Mm, I don't know if I want to characterize it as... Well, there's an error of the left and an error of the right in the history of Western politics. And the error, the error of the left is to think that the common good can be secured by the state. So all the emphasis goes yeah. to the very yeah. largest structures of human society and says it's the responsibility of the state to provide this environment for flourishing for mm. all people. The conservative reaction to that is to go to the very small end and, and uh, you know, uh, to pick the name of a ministry, uh, to focus on the family mm-hmm. and to say, no, 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 what matters is the family and the, stay out of my house, right? You know, the state should stay away allow very really often it gets very individualistic but maybe it's thinking about you know i want to provide for my family the insight of catholic social thought was to realize actually a lot of what matters for the flourishing of persons is neither at the level of the very large state Mm. nor at the level of the individual family that's Mm. too small Mm. it's the mediating institutions it's these middle scale things so it's your town it's your local parent teacher association it's the school that your uh, children and your neighbor's children attend um it's smallish businesses not big multinational businesses and really when you think about political discourse right now when we talk about the common goods well first of all the common good has been kind of co-opted by the left and is used rhetorically on the left but almost always to urge very very large-scale interventions and then the right has actually forgotten about talking about it often mm. in my i don't hear it much from quote-unquote conservative politicians mm. And when we talk about what's good, we talk about it in such individualized ways. Mm. And no one's talking about how do we maintain the middle layer, which is mm. actually where persons can still be recognized and cared for. Mm. Um, because really you get too big and, and yeah. you're not able to care for people in the same way. And, and because the common good is about persons, yeah. not just about redistributing good, you know, stuff. If it was just stuff, build a big industrial mechanism to do that. Mm. Yeah. But if it's persons, okay, well, I don't flourish unless you know who I am. Mm-hmm. And... In a town, I can be known for who I am, but I can't be known for who I am in that way in a nation, let's say, let alone a world order. So I think the middle layer is what is really mm. neglected, both in mm. our thinking and our praxis, you could mm. say. So, so in the middle layer, we can fit the church as well. Yeah? Absolutely. That's middle layer, layer yeah. as well, Bleeding. right? Right, especially so, the local church, uh-huh. the local expressions of church. Yeah, yeah. So I, sure. I, th- I think there, there's a, um, like many associations, like like middle level associations, like you're talking about, that don't want to join forces with the church because they normally perceive the church has an agenda, <laughs> uh, and like like they want to uh, like catch the vulnerable and bring them into uh, their churches. Right. So it's like okay, yes. I mean, you want to do this, but there's a uh, there's another thing behind you really want is you want to get the converts, right? You want to get the people, you want to get the numbers. So it's like, no, 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 which is one? I mean, they think, because like, of course, non-religious groups, they think they don't have an agenda too. They, they think they're just like, <laughs> yes, they're, they both have, right? Right, But, right. But I, I think it's, it's been compli- uh, kind of difficult to kind of, quote unquote, join forces with like secular and in, 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 in church because, I don't know, agendas clash. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Because like, I, I, know, I know it's kind of true that some churches, they, they just like, you know, try to help, give money or, or, or help people. But the, the, the real intention is, is conversions as well. Because I've, I've lived in a... Instrumental or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm giving you this, not because I want your well-being per se in this, it's because yeah. you open up your heart to whatever I'm going to say next, <laughs> right? So it's like, Huh. I understand that, but is that a good approach, or, or I don't know what do you, what do you think about about that, Amy? I think I'm a little more hopeful than you are. Um, 
I think particularly in the past 10, 15 mm. years, there's been an increasing recognition on the part of local governments, um, local secular nonprofits, mm. business associations, um, that without the faith community at the mm. table, uh, we're missing a really important asset in the community. Uh, mm-hmm. That certain social problems have gotten to be so overwhelming okay. uh, mm-hmm. that we are desperately looking for help. Mm-hmm. We've got all these people aging out of the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Who's going to help take care of them? Mm-hmm. Um, our schools are failing. What are we going to do about that? Um, drug abuse, homelessness. Mm. I mean, you just sort of go down a whole <laughs> litany of, of, of mm. challenges, right? And you have municipalities feeling budget pressures. Mm. Um, and, and, and as a result, at least in the circles I run in, which I realize are limited, um, I'm getting more reports of opportunities for partnership mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. invitation for partnership mm-hmm. than I am getting stories of um, we wanted to try to do X and we were, um, you know, held at bay for that. Uh, okay. um, even in, even in uh, public schools, mm-hmm. right? So, yep. I mean, I can give you example upon example upon example of faith-based nonprofits and congregations having very vibrant Mm. relationships with local public schools. Mm. Um, Now, sometimes the initial uh, negotiation of that partnership certainly has involved questions on the part of public school officials about now, you know, (laughs) you know, trying to discern what those motivations are and wanting to be really careful about, Mm. you know, well, you know, there is church and state and are you going to respect these boundaries and, you know, that sort of thing. But pretty quickly when, when the faith community's role really is demonstrated to be about the thriving, Mm -hmm. uh, the flourishing Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. children Mm. Uh, there's a trust that gets developed and an openness and there's some really very vibrant uh, partnerships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then how do we, how do we do that? Cause, cause if I come from a local church that really want to help and partner with, how do, how do they gain or we gain the trust to be involved with schools, with, with some of the government ministries and, you know, I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you a fun, I'll tell you a fun story. Uh, church down in Alabama, uh, decided that, um, they had neglected their community, and they wanted to repent of that. And uh, they hired a, a gentleman to be kind of their local missions pastor. And he, uh, he encouraged the church to focus on a particular community that was about a five-minute drive from, from the church, kind of a pocket of poverty area mm-hmm. uh, in this city of Huntsville, Alabama. And 
he thought, well, no better place to start than the local elementary school. So he literally went in, his name is Mark, he went in and, uh, can, can I meet with the principal? And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of wondering about whether she was available and this sort of thing anyway. But she gave him a couple of minutes, and mm-hmm. he basically has this really thick southern accent. And, <laughs> and you know, so he, you know he's really, yeah. Yeah, and southern he basically accent. very earnestly says to her, you know, I'm, I'm Mark, and I'm from this congregation, and, you know, <laughs> we really want to reach out to, you know, our community. And, you know, does this whole thing, and she's kind of listening to him, and, and he's like, what do you need? And she's like, oh, well, you know, we really appreciate you stopping by. And, uh, you know, thank you so phone. much. And, you know, we'll get back to you. We'll think yeah. about that, you know. We'll call you and, back, uh, yeah. you know, she's just thinking, who's this nut job, right? <laughs> and uh, a week later, he comes back. And the church secretary, uh, the, the excuse me, the school secretary sort of goes in to the principal's office and says, remember that guy that was here last week? You know, like he's, <laughs> he's, he's, back. he's back again, yeah. you know. And so the principal's <laughs> like, oh, geez, you know, we get rid of him. And, you know, and, you know, what are we supposed to say? And, and, uh, and the school secretary said, well, you know, the teacher has been really complaining about our overhead projectors. This was a story from some okay. years ago and about, you know, all the overhead projectors, whatever. So anyway, so they let him come in and he sort of repeats his offer of help. And she says to him, well, uh, we've yes, we've been thinking about your offer to help. <laughs> and uh, so glad you came Holy back because, yeah. um, you know, we could really use some overhead projectors. And he says, that's great. Uh, I want to work on that. Thank you so much much you know mm. and goes away and then the two ladies think this is great you know we've we've got rid of that guy you know and you know several <laughs> days later these ginormous boxes you know show mm. up yeah. uh, being delivered by the trucks and the church has purchased six brand new big mm. overhead projectors and you know mark comes back that you know the next day did the, you know did you get the projectors and and the, she's the principal's completely blown away, mm-hmm. and that begins mm-hmm. literally right. this you know twelve year relationship. Mm-hmm. Half the students in the school getting tutors, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. medical help, uh-huh. um, you know, mm-hmm. food help, um, loving on the parents, such that over time it goes the PTA goes from six people to you know, 60-some people. Mm. Um, eventually, the school wins the National Panasonic National <laughs> School Change Award. <laughs> award. You know, yeah. just okay. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Oh, wow. So it's, mm. you know, yeah. the answer to your question is it's about it's about individuals building relationships mm. of trust. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Mm. That's like how that. these things hopeful. get. Like yeah, it's mm. hopeful. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Well... You're thinking. I, I, yeah. I remember talking with a, a very, uh, in some ways, very similar story in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, um, a similar church school partnership. And and one of the questions was that came up was exactly this question. Um, how do you handle it when they uh, suspect you have an agenda if yeah. you're the church mm. going in? And the coordinator of this um, very robust partnership between a big suburban megachurch and the the least well-performing school um, in this city. I, I think it was Portland, Oregon. Um, they they uh, formed this deep partnership. They had actually had an office in the church in the school, like just totally embedded and connected. Um, and she said, "Well, the best way to not be accused of having an agenda and is not, not to having have an agenda." <laughs> <laughs> and, Surprising. Yeah, and and I think that's beautifully yeah, put. Yeah. And I also think that actually, um, 
we can go one step further and say that that if you really do understand the common good as the calling of God's people to participate in every way that we can, and in different eras of history, the options are different. Uh, mm. At one era of history, simply creating the hospital is what, like one of the mm. best things you can do. Mm. Well, today we have relatively effective, at least in certain dimensions, medical care that's provided mm. by business and the state in different combinations. So what, where does the church need to be now? You know, and if it's if we always realize like our calling is to go where there's vulnerability, where flourishing could happen if community is reestablished and be part of that, mm. and that that is our agenda. Like that is God's calling for His people, mm. not to the exclusion, of course, of restoring relationship with God. Yeah. Um, but that when we are working with our neighbors, it is also entirely our job to work on the flourishing mm. of the vulnerable in community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then, yeah. then you have the agenda that that uh, can cooperate and doesn't always cooperate. There's limits to our, our understanding flourishing is going to be different from our neighbors at certain key moments and under c- certain regimes, whether mm-hmm. it's communist China or, mm. or Cuba or, mm. or whether it's, you know, different jurisdictions in the United States um, or Canada, there's going to be times when we don't see eye to eye on what flourishing entails mm-hmm. and then we can't partner. But there's all these other places where we can all see there's an opportunity to build something and where the yeah. church is able to bring resources of volunteering and, and compassion and passion mm-hmm. that, frankly, it's evident to everyone no other, no other group of people brings. Mm. Because there are other kinds of activism, but they do not come with buying overhead projectors, by mm. and large. They, they are very good at stirring things up. They're very good at maybe putting a tag on social media, but mm. where do the overhead projectors come? I mean, they're just empirical reality. I mean, even more than the overhead projectors, where do the people come mm. who are willing to invest their lives? And, and there's clear sociological evidence up to the, this present moment. that, in spite of the fact that our country is getting more secular, volunteering and caring for the vulnerable is not getting more secular. It's still being done mm. by people of faith. Mm. So, we can do that. Whenever we can find a place to partner, we can do it. And I think remembering that we have a really rich history. Yeah. You know, sometimes people are uh, thinking, oh, this seems weird. Like, isn't the church just supposed to be about, you know, the discipleship and the Sunday morning service? Mm-hmm. And why are you talking about health care and education? <laughs> and, stay in your lane. You know, yeah, all, yeah. yes, stay in your lane, right? <laughs> And actually, to be able to to say, no, don't you see, like, this is actually, think about the heritage of the church. I mean, at one point, the church was the major patron of the arts. Mm. So why wouldn't we want to be vibrantly involved in the arts today? Mm. You know, John Wesley was essentially really involved in what today we would call microfinance and microenterprise development, right? Mm. Um, It was the church that, that... you know saint samson the hospitable you know right. kind of the founder of the of the modern hospital um so this is a this is a legacy mm. uh that that we have that we should remember uh and and seek to mm, you know yeah. continue to live into uh live into today mm. and i think that there are wonderful examples uh contemporary examples of uh Prison, you know, care mm. for prisoners and families mm. of prisoners. Yeah. Um, care for mm. care for people mm. with developmental disabilities, mm-hmm. um, and going the extra mile to, uh, you know, care for the, mm-hmm. the caregivers. Mm. Um, 
and and it is that enacted love uh, that embodied witness mm. um, we don't have to come in with that evangelistic mm. agenda because if we do the enacted embodied witness of love that mm. is radical and self-sacrificing chances are eventually someone's going to ask us why in the world we're doing it mm. and then we get invited to talk about mm. it <laughs> yeah. right yeah, yeah. So is it viable for a church to church's budget and their yearly goals to be centering around yeah. the common good? Yeah, that's exactly my next question. <laughs> How, can we could we reimagine like a local church, you know, like like what like what you said, like centering around the common good budget, like mission, the whole thing, but not not just like on the inside and make mm. it, like it, everything goes like well inside, but reimagining the common good. That's well, gonna be you know, the, a, a congregation. <laughs> You know, it has it has a necessary internal focus. Yeah, um, it, it is something that is existing for the the preaching of the word and the sacraments and the <laughs> and the spiritual formation uh, of of uh, the members, the discipleship of mm-hmm. uh, children and and others. But a healthy church is going to balance that with, I think, a very robust missional and external focus, mm-hmm. uh, recognizing we don't exist just for ourselves. We exist for the sake mm. of our neighbors. And in fact, much of what we're doing inside the four walls is hopefully yeah. that which is helping prepare us to be mm. ever more like Christ, mm. to be his hands and feet outside the four walls of the church. So I think that it is not uh, unreasonable to think about new scorecards, mm. new metrics, mm. new mm. budgets, mm. right? that take both of those things into into account. Mm. Mm-hmm. Often we do have a budget and a scorecard that really mm-hmm. is limited to mm-hmm. the sort of care of the institution, uh-huh. right? It's what my friend Reggie McNeil calls churchianity instead of, <laughs> instead of kingdom-centered yeah. mm-hmm. work, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is your church healthy? Well, the scorecard is, you know, butts in seats, yeah. size of the buildings, bucks in the plate, mm. right? Well, if that's your scorecard, then all you're measuring is how well the institution is doing. Yeah. Um, so we do need a new scorecard mm. that includes how well are we actually participating in the community and what is our contribution and how are we assisting in the flourishing mm-hmm. of others and in the strengthening of our, mm-hmm. of our community. So I think... You know, I would want to encourage churches to have that external focus get written down in mm-hmm. a budget. And get, mm. you know, I don't think the whole thing can be centered on that uh-huh. because it is this dual focus. Mm. But we certainly need a lot of um, good effort to move towards mm-hmm. almost a, a kind of that dual focus. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. That's mm. mm. really good. So if the, if the church's role is to part of that being in the four walls is so that we can go outside the four walls four walls um what what how does the help how does the church help the dentist and the artist and the mum and the garbage person and the whatever be that what sort what 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 does that look like inside the church so that we're equipping people to be what we're saying hands and feet outside the four walls well in the most recent book i wrote i call that vocational stewardship mm where we are helping people to really recognize 
the fullness and to take inventory at a very intentional way of sort of the fullness of all the dimensions of their vocational power. So their talents, their skills, their expertise, their networks, their connections, their influence, their platform, their position, uh, and to consider how might they uh, advance foretastes of the kingdom of God mm. um, yeah. as an electrician, as a professor, as a real estate developer, as an yeah. architect. Um, how are they participating with Jesus in his work mm. of renewal and restoration? How are they um, bearing out the image of God as a, a, a worker who provides you know, for mm. his people? Mm. Um, how are they uh, participating in the in the sort of pushing back or the restraining of all that uh, that decays and and corrupts? Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think our congregational leaders need to do an ever better job of helping folks um, think along those lines. Mm. So and and even getting people into vocational guilds where you get the medical people together, you get the business people together, you get the, the, uh, the architecture design people, the, the arts people, you get these people in similar fields together and get them thinking about questions like that. Mm-hmm. What are the kingdom foretastes mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. can advance? What, mm-hmm. what are the particular idolatries within mm-hmm. our sector that we need to push against? Mm-hmm. Where do we see the forces of evil and decay that we want to you know, be against? Yeah. And where, where are those... Uh, mm-hmm bright spots, yeah. right, of, of yeah. places where we have a real opportunity to restore and to renew, and how do we accelerate mm. uh, yeah. those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so good. I, I think uh, w- with almost every profession or vocation, let's say, every calling, um, which doesn't just include paid work, but mm, uh, all oh, kinds yeah. of, mm-hmm. of work, I really, I, I've come to really love this kind of threefold framework of flourishing, vulnerable, and community. So you can ask about dentistry, like what's flourishing dentistry, you know? Yeah. And, and the truth is, like, I happen to go to a different dental practice than the rest of my family. And without saying which one is which, I actually, there's a real, like, at one level, what's being done is rather technical, like the pre- preservation of dental hygiene. This is well, <laughs> a well-defined field for the most part. Like, you'd think, well, this would be pretty homogenous and uh, but actually like one of these practices is flourishing in a way that the other is not and and it has to do with the the sensibilities that the people who work there bring to their work and um and then there's actual advancement of fields you know so in the field of architecture and building like how can we build in in ways that are less resource intensive more energy mm. uh you know uh conserving or recycling mm. Mm. or right. there's so much to be done uh in in so many fields to advance where we're going and not everybody has to be the the innovator or researcher on the forefront it's really important to be the person implementing things that ha- mm-hmm. are already best practice somewhere else but aren't widely distributed and you can mm. be part of that. you can do that in fast food like there's flourishing fast food and there's decaying fast food mm. you walk into an in and out in in Southern California or now in Texas and other parts of the U.S., it feels different and better than walking into a Wendy's. I just think mm. any human Oof. being would sense something's better in this place. And there's a reason <laughs> for it. There's practices behind that. Mm. And so if you're a Wendy's manager, you could start to, to some extent, incorporate, mm. even in that highly routinized, highly constrained field. So flourishing is one. 
Then the second is who's vulnerable in the system? And there is no system in which there are not people who are at risk of not flourishing. Whether that's um, in an academic institution, it's very often the, the quote unquote staff of the faculty, administration, students, and staff. We are really good at making sure the students flourish because they pay our money, our bills. The faculty flourish because they're the faculty, <laughs> a kind of uh, status. The administration flourish because they control the money. The staff are often the ones, uh, especially the ones who come in at night, for example, and clean the institution's buildings or whatever. Like in every system, there's people who, are we sure this, this mm. system is helping mm. them grow? And in the best places, they really are growing. One of the really cool things at Fuller Seminary that I'm on the board of is our um, custodial staff who come in at night have Bible study once a week and pray, I believe I'm getting this right, at the beginning of every night together Hmm. and Hmm. see themselves as really part of a Christian community caring for the seminary. And that's just so encouraging. Mm. Uh, I, I know that was the case a couple of years ago. I haven't like kept tabs on this, to be totally honest. But mm. I heard, heard of this and was so encouraged. Like That should be happening in every mm-hmm. institution. And then community. Like How am I fostering relationships where I am? Even, mm-hmm. if in, even in the most routine job, I do often think of fast food as a, as a particularly routinized and, and a place with not a lot of room for uh, any individual to change things. It's kind of the whole point is, mm. is a job that, that anyone can slot into and do, but uh, you can make all the difference in how people are treated both behind the counter and your customers and the kids who come in the door. And um, you can be part of creating a kind of community. Uh, even if all the aspects of your job are, are laid out on a plastic sheet mm. that tells you exactly mm. how to do it. Mm there's still room to treat other people as human beings or mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the way to help mm-hmm. everybody realize uh, you've got a part to play mm-hmm. in on these three fronts, mm-hmm. wherever you are, whatever you do. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of the issue is our sacred secular divide we're having ahead. Because, for example, if, if, I'm, if I'm a soccer player or I'm a, a school teacher is, or, uh, I don't know, let's say a dentist, it's like, you know, I'm there full time. I'm just not much to do like if I'm a dentist uh, I want to have a conversation with, with the patient he's like, ah, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> like not much I can do there I have like a conversation so, so like what like what do I do on my daily basis what can I do for the common good And because cause sometimes you think the common good is going beyond what you're doing something more elevated or more important than just fixing a mouth yeah. well right yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I, I was having a conversation with, with shout out to Gustavo Santos mm-hmm. he's been in the podcast he's, uh-huh. he's part of the, of the region community and, and, and we heard in a sermon they were talking about Jesus and they what normally people say like he started his ministry when he was 30 and, and huh. so on and he would say like huh that kind of hit me because I, I feel that it's wrong he started his, his ministry, ministry yeah, only, way earlier. Exactly. <laughs> only after 30, because only that matters. Because a, a lot of the question, you know, speculation, what did Jesus do before? <laughs> like, uh, how many miracles was, was he doing secretly? Because we think of the practice, miracle. Practice like, miracles. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's like, <laughs> like, what did yeah. only the miracles count? Because like, let's say he was actually a, a, a carpenter. Yes. And he said, the son of God became flesh and w- and came to fix roofs or like was make it, chairs yeah what a waste of time god became mm. flesh and most of his time he most likely right. was a carpenter for 10 why didn't he start early cuz but cuz in our head that feels like a waste yes. of time like just a roof well, just making a good chair the, i mean you you became human for <laughs> that well listen i can double down on that because <laughs> this really struck me this past spring 
I was reading through the Easter, the accounts of Jesus' uh, resurrection appearances. Uh-huh. And, and we ended up using one of them uh, as a kind of place of prayer for our team in practice where I work. And, and it was John 21, which is where Jesus appears to the disciples on the beach. They're out fishing. Mm, yeah. All right. So, so you think it's kind of scandalous that the incarnate son would you know, make carpentry. But here's the resurrected Lord uh-huh. of the universe. Um, and what is he doing? He's grilling fish on a beach <laughs> and bread. He has he has spent the the Lord of the creation through whom all things were made uh-huh. for whom all things were made has spent time while his disciples are out fruitlessly trying to find some fish. He himself has found some fish. He has built a charcoal fire and he is grilling. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that is crazy. Yeah, she, exactly. She, it resurrected Christ. He's like, what shall I do this morning? Yeah. Think, today I'm going to grill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, instead I'm going to walk into Pilate's room and. Yeah, exactly. uh, so that he can be with his friends yeah. and have breakfast and have a very meaningful conversation, to yeah. be sure. But it's around a grill. And yeah. that's like his thing to do today. Mm-hmm. I, it just blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say, Octavio, I think the sacred-secular divide is, is has, the, the doors are locked from the inside on this one. Uh-huh. I actually think our neighbors who don't share our faith are intensely looking for meaning in mm-hmm. everything that they do. And it's it's the mm-hmm. Christians who think, oh, dentistry, that, like, I, there's not much Christian to that, like mm-hmm. fixing teeth, I mean, I don't know, mm-hmm. or your fast food restaurant or whatever. But I actually think that until, now I will say, people can have it beaten out of them. Like they can work at, you know, uh, in the office, you know, the sitcom yeah. office, yeah. and realize this is meaningless. <laughs> I'm not being treated like a human being here. I'm just going to show up, collect my paycheck, and go yeah. home. And you can see it, like, ebb away from people. But people naturally, um, even if it's relatively work that's relatively routine or lacks certain dimensions of meaning that we might value a lot in the mm-hmm. church, like having a conversation, well, what if I'm a... Um, you know, a, a doctor whose patients are always sedated when yeah. I do the procedure. Or you do right? facilities like I do. Or you're alone facilities. with the bathroom. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and we, ass- so, um, we assume, well, there's not much meaning there. But in fact, all the time people find meaning there. Now, there are some, some edge cases that, like security guards, uh, overnight mm-hmm. facilities. Yeah. And the really amazing thing is uh, you can meet people who do that as a, with an utter sense of devotion to God. Mm-hmm. I, I met a woman once. She had immigrated to the United States. Um, she, she was clearly a person of education and, and some attainment in her native country, but for raisin, various reasons had to move to the U.S. and couldn't get um, work authorization uh, mm-hmm. or, or didn't have credentials, I guess, to do her professional job. So she cleaned homes um, in uh, a very prosperous part of the U.S., and she spoke with incredible conviction. She said, I, I spend a lot of my time cleaning my clients' bathrooms, and I pray for them mm. uh, because uh, indirectly and directly, I see the mess of their lives, and I, I just pray as I do this work. And, and she had amazing stories of how God had opened up things. Mm. And that can happen even if you are isolated by virtue of your job. Now, I happen to think we shouldn't give Ideally, we wouldn't be in an economy that would require people to walk around a deserted facility for eight hours and never see someone and go home. But there is a way to do that under the Lord, even that. Um, And I think it's actually more often we in the church lack the sense that this could be sacred Mm -hmm. than I actually think the people in those jobs know it could be meaningful until they are like just beaten down directly or indirectly and just think, well, I guess I'm just stuck. But that's not where any human being starts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We always have the opportunity to love. Mm -hmm. 
and even in the work that the world gives such low status to and people who feel that they don't have um, vocational power to steward, (laughs) right? Mm. Um, But there is always that opportunity to love. And often that love, there's a level of influence that that even people, quote-unquote, on the bottom can have. So, for example, Mm. you know, I have AAA, the the insurance where, you know, if your car breaks down, you know. Well, probably one of the lowest rung people, maybe not the lowest, but probably a low ring rung person is whoever it is that answers the phone on the uh, initial 800 call, uh, uh, 1-800, you know, mm. call AAA, whatever, <laughs> at 2 in the morning. Mm. And um, tell you what, when you're on the other end of the yes. phone mm-hmm. and you're me and you don't know yeah. how to change the tire and, you know, and you're stuck, yeah. um, She's got a ton of power, that gal yeah. that answers the phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she either loves me well or she doesn't. Mm. Yeah. And my whole experience with that corporation is hangs mm. on her mm. willingness and ability right. to mm. love me well by 2 a.m. Yeah. 2 a.m. <laughs> saying, I'm here with you. Yep. I'm going to stay on the phone with you. Are you safe? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get somebody there. Let me help you figure out where you are. You know, Mm. The, the CNA at the hospital. Mm. You know, it's one of the lower rung jobs, mm-hmm. the certified nursing assistant. The, I've been in plenty of hospitals. The quality of your stay in a hospital depends far more on the quality of the work of the CNA than any other person in the hospital. Mm. Wow. Mm. Wow. Mm. I mean, that's so beautiful. I hate to even add <laughs> anything to it, except that I was just thinking about this YouTube trend of people who work as overnight security guards, so they work alone all night, mm-hmm. making videos uh, that are often often like lip syncing. To okay. they're like basically making music videos, yeah. and it's become actually a big thing. And some of them have huge followings. And and so in addition to we always can love, I actually would say there's always a way to create. There's mm-hmm. always a way to mm-hmm. imitate the creator, and and it's so beautiful that that video in this case gives these folks a way of sharing, you know, their creativity with the world uh, in these deserted offices and so forth. And um, again, like I, I think it's actually also part of our responsibility to create a world in which jobs um, ask you to love and create, mm. and that that doesn't just happen like accidentally or slightly against the rules or yeah. you know I'm not yeah. supposed to stay on the line, but I will because I care about you, even though the, the regs or the standard operating procedure says not to. But uh, so we really have to be thinking like a very deep responsibility we all have is how do we create a world in which every piece of work it has a creative element a personal and relational element mm-hmm. and and is not done alone i mm-hmm. i think that mm-hmm. is uh except in very unusual circumstances it is not good for people to be alone um but uh but even when they are <laughs> mm-hmm. uh people find ways and can, do find ways can find ways to love and create and mm-hmm. and we just need in the church to celebrate that mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and to see it is sacred like when that that security guard like does her dance to this song that she loves whether or not it has any faith c- uh content this is a human being expressing joy expressing mm-hmm. spontaneity mm-hmm. expressing you know like uh creating something that wasn't there before and mm-hmm. that's that's in the mm-hmm. image of god and that's mm-hmm. sacred like mm-hmm. let's let's recognize it mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, but you're still saying though that we should try to find or modify some jobs oh, that yeah. are really not like, made oh, for, for, for people for flourishing. Dehumanizing. I'm yeah. So, absolutely. So, um, I mean, God forbid we think the somehow the common good is just a way to for everybody to be a little nicer and kinder in what they're already yeah. doing. Like, no, we have s- whole systems that are broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly he- healthcare mm. is mostly not very good for anybody in the system. I mean, not, not nearly as good as it could be. It's better that we have it than we don't have it, but there's so much to be done mm-hmm. um, to make it a more ultimately, I, I, you know, some people would say humanizing. I think it's really about making it more personal. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's respecting persons. This is why the, the mm-hmm. core of the common good is the flourishing of persons, especially the vulnerable. Um, so we have to be thinking about renovating everything we do as a mm-hmm. society to gradually move um, as best as we can towards uh, every person being recognized and honored as a person. Mm-hmm. And that will mean that some categories of jobs really need to be changed in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But even even in the meantime, because those systems don't change quickly and uh, are not easy to change, uh, it is possible with the support of a, especially of a faith community for anyone to go into their daily work and mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. I can be part of the common good right where I am, even if the system can't change around me immediately, I can be part of something very worthwhile that God mm-hmm. brings God great mm-hmm. glory and pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Amy and Andy, our time is gone, but thank you for hmm. your conversation. Thanks for the thinking that you're doing around yeah. this and the work that you're doing in it and the jobs that you're probably creating in the places that you are that mm, bring about so, yeah. flourishing. So thank, thanks for being at Regent. Yeah, and all the ink you're spilling on those pages. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all the trees. All the trees, yeah. yeah that's, that's, right. that's how I think of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Killing trees. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully in a sustainable way. Yeah, that's right. Recycle, recycle <laughs> them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you thanks so much. You. Thank you. Uh, it's thank been you a pleasure. very much. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net. <laughs>